Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Asin played host uh, as round 11 of the MotoGP World Championship. And what a race the Dutch TT delivered. Dominance. Heartbreak, rain, penalties and comeback rides. It had nearly everything and we're here to discuss it all as we head into MotoGP's summer break. The recording date is Monday the 27th of June. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as usual is Crash MotoGP editor Pete McLaren and former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hewin. Now it's been a busy weekend uh, I think for all of us not just MotoGP wise but of course uh, we you would have seen it I'm sure across social media and online the Goodwood Festival of Speed uh, occurring across the weekend. Keith Hewin we actually met in person the first time in over a year of doing this we've done it still not met Pete yet so he could be 6'8 he could be 5'1 no idea Uh, but Keith Goodwood you were a busy man lots of cars lots of bikes as well. Yeah, and it's confirmed you are tall. You walk past our commentary position. I was on the second floor and you could still look in. So yeah. Harry is a tall fella. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Festival of Speed, I, I've only just been able to say it right after slurring for the last um, 20-odd hours. It's uh, It's been a hell of an event. I mean, majored on motorcycles this year. The Duke of Richmond you know, put together a massive event, as he does, and his team down at Goodwood. But the, the, the big highlight for all of us, and I think even car people, was Wayne Rainey coming back onto his 92 championship winning the bike by the way the bike yamaha prepped it from it was a static display and they prepped it so it was a proper runner and all the rest of it and believe me a 30 year old machine that takes a lot of doing um especially a full factory one like it is because there ain't a lot of bits hanging around for them after all these years mm. um so wayne wayne rainey arrives and 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 he's the man i remember him to be every time i see him i mean he's he's his family was there, Shay, his wife, Rex, his son, and Skylar, his, uh, I was going to say daughter then, his, I'm still very jaded, I have to say, uh, his <laughs> wife. Um, it was full family rainy, and um, we were all a bit kind of concerned about the thing. I mean, I know it's only a straight line, it's only 1.1 miles the hill, but the preparation to, to get a guy that's never ridden, it's not ridden the bike since he rode it 30 years ago to win the world title. He won in 1991 and 92, um, two stroke, no electronics, no controls over any of that kind of stuff. But these are a bit zippy, these things, two and a half thousand RPM, something like power band. And, and I remember just how sharp they are. Um, paralyzed from the chest downwards, so he has no feeling from the chest downwards. Um, he had Shimano, you know, the push bike, Shimano clips to attached to his boots. So they clipped onto the pegs, strapped his knees, had a, a tank uh, cushion, if you like. So he could feel the vibration of the bike through the top half of his chest. And then obviously hand controls. The stop button, the kill switch, which would normally be a kill switch, uh, clicked it up a gear. And every time he pulled the clutch, it went down a gear. Now, that meant it was a fair bit of thinking to be done as well. Obviously, he's very strong in his arms because that's what tends to happen. His upper body stays very, very strong because that's how he gets himself about in and out of chairs and, and, and whatever. Um, but the wonderful thing about Wayne, he's still the same guy he was when I interviewed him for Sky Television after his accident back in you know the end of 92. Uh, end of, yeah, it wasn't 90, actually 93, beginning of 93, just after he'd had that accident. And... He's still very mild, very 
focused though on what he wanted to do and what he wanted to achieve and it's all, always uh, you know the mechanics of how gregory you know a mate of mine from from years ago one of the techs that worked on ron aslam's bike on the britain bikes team roberts or you know some of the guys that you see at the festival of speed you haven't seen in decades and and they were prepping the bike from the the Paget's team were there you know the malenko by Paget's team were looking after the Yamaha as well and and Nambasan the, the 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 Japanese guy that came across with the bike to oversee it lovely fella in fact there's one brilliant shot of when the, they had to have one guy that was on the front Tony Mash um what was his surname Mashita he was um on the front and he'd hold the bike steady Howard Gregory would fire it up from the back with the starter Nambasan was at the back ready to push him off and there was a couple of guidance either side a couple of guys either side and the, the launch was the most important part because obviously if it had gone off a bit wrong, by the time he feels it where he needs to feel it, we're already heading in the wrong direction. So it really was critical to get that right. And if you look at the first launch, if you, you, if you do watch it online, try and watch the one where he goes up the hill on his own. I think it was must have been on Thursday. And Nambasan, the, 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 the Japanese guy, I've never seen him. He was, he was break dancing behind as, as Wayne got halfway up to turn one. He's jumping about and he's clapping. He's so happy that this launch has gone so well straight away. Um, and it was just a fantastic. I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in there. If I never have to commentate on anything ever again, I will feel okay about that because to see Wayne, you know, get more and more confident as well. He popped a few wheelies in the last one as well, only little ones, but I'll tell you what, it's a big deal. And thanks to the Duke of Richmond for facilitating all of those guys. There were little creaks here and there that I can say from behind the scenes that some of the guys in Park Ferme didn't really understand perhaps what Wayne needed from a logistical point of view. A bit more room, please, gents. I know it's a motorbike and we can get it through a, through a kitchen door, but the fact is that he needed a bit more room around him to, to do the manoeuvring. You know, the, 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 the crew, tech crew that were looking after everything, needed to be in front of the bike as well as behind the bike when we went up the hill to the top to the all those things though worked out to this crescendo of uh, of wayne pulling three or four wheelies up the hill uh, with kevin schwantz mick doan kenny roberts senior who is remarkable when he's had a half a bottle of wine i have to say <laughs> kenny roberts senior you just can't stop him from and if anybody wonders what was wrong with him one day down on the grid before we all left up the hill i think it must have been was it saturday morning the first run honestly must have been the leftovers from the night before because Kenny was on it. He was pushing Kevin Schwantz about. He was pushing Mick Dewan about. Then we had Jeremy McWilliams that joined us as well. Of course, Jeremy McWilliams has got great history with most of those guys and with the teams. The KR3 was there, the three-cylinder development bike that, that Kenny Roberts developed, somewhat out of date really because obviously it went to MotoGP around the time that, that he and Proton developed that thing. So still a sharp machine though. And again, Roberts. He got it lit up at one point, and I thought he was going into the bales. <laughs> it was quite funny. Well, I mean, Doom was probably the most subdued out of the bloody lot of them. Everyone else was on Festival of Speed party mode, I think. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things to come out of it that was very interesting was that Shay... Wayne hadn't really told the family what he was planning. You know, half the plans had gone through before he actually told his wife what he was doing, <laughs> which was... Um, quite amusing when he let that one go bearing in mind Shay was behind me when he was saying it on air on television <laughs> but a great event a great event I mean if you've never been to the festival of speed it's one of those ones it is bloody expensive um, I have to say you know five quid for an ice cream and god knows what for a burger but and and that's without your, your entries but you are never going to see the things you see in one place you're never going to be mm. able to touch smell and absorb what's going on you're never going to be able to talk to the likes of wayne rainey stood by it sat by his bike um talking to anybody who wants to know and that's the same with all of the riders that were there the access is incredibly good um so i would highly recommend it it is expensive so don't expect to be going there on the cheap um and you do need to be there early but you need to be there early not just to miss the traffic you need to be there early because you ain't going to get it all done in one day, unless you've got a weekend mm -hmm. ticket, of course, then that, that'll designate you as really rich. 
No, I was only there on the Thursday and I could not get, I couldn't, I think I only saw half of it, if that. There was so much to see. But I mean, especially Wayne Rainey going up the hill, that was uh, something special to, to witness if you were there or indeed just seeing it uh, online as well. It, it was it was amazing to watch. And, and just lastly as well, of course, you had, you had a balcony moment with uh, with somebody called Agostini, who's, uh, I, I hear, pretty good on a motorbike. Giacomo Agostini, I mean, uh, he's the guy that went from four strokes, MV Augustas, into two strokes, um in the Grand Prix series. He was the first ever two-stroke winner on a 500cc Yamaha. So, you know, he was 15 times a world champion. You'll love a stat because I know what you like, you anorak-type journos. I mean, he won a, a world title for every letter in his name, 15 of them, you see, if you count. That's how I always remember how many he's won. Um, he won eight 500cc Grand Prix titles and seven 350cc Grand Prix titles. He's as smooth as they come. Um, delightfully elegant as an Italian. And, and and when he's got all his gear on and he's on that MV, you think, oh, that's how it should be. You know, it's just oozes class. Still a great, um, great man. And that balcony moment, as you say, rode across the gravel driveway under the BMW display, which was magnificent as ever in front of Goodwood House, into the lobby. I mean, into the lobby of Goodwood House, <laughs> which is quite magnificent in itself. And then wanders up and meets some tosser on the top of the stairs called Hewan. Again, and the, the story behind that as well is that, that I know Agostini, I've known Ago for a long time because back in the day when I was very, very young, there was a time, and he sent me a message. I think it was a fax because back then we didn't have internet, I don't think. <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> Quite old now, I have to say, and feeling it after this weekend. Uh, and he summoned me to Milan. And I'd never been to to Italy, and basically he was trying to uh, hire me for the for the Grand Prix team back in the day when I was quite reasonable on a bike. And um, but basically, I spent all my time in, in a hotel room um, ordering food that I didn't understand what it was because I'd only been brought up on fish and chips, and um, never ever never ever saw him. I, I got a message that came and said that um, terribly sorry, but um, you know we we don't need your services now. So what he'd done is he brought me out there, crafty old bugger, brought me out there just to make sure that he got the signatures signed that he needed to get signed for that year's team because there were one or two people kind of balking at it. So he flew me out as a, as a decoy. You know, Hewan's coming to Milan, you know, and, and, and if, um, if you don't sign, we're going to sign him kind of thing. Hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but it was all right. He's ago after all. So, yes. <laughs> He what doesn't, strangely thing. enough, he doesn't remember it that way. No, <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, what a brilliant weekend, though. Uh, amazing stuff. If you're lucky enough to get there or watch it, uh, it's well worth uh, trying to get to next year if you're able to. Well, while all that was going on, though, of course, it was another MotoGP race weekend, wasn't it? Uh, the last before a, a bit of a break uh, until Silverstone. And uh, we talked about Agostini. It was another Italian, wasn't it? Francesco Bagnaia claimed a dominant uh, win in Assen in the end. With Aleish Aspargro, though, producing arguably, I mean, he made me scream out loud at one point, the ride of maybe his career to finish fourth after being crashed into early doors by title rival Fabio Quattararo. Maverick Vinales taking his first podium for Aprilia. Marco Bezzecchi on the podium as well. It was drama from the very start, too, in what was an absolutely excellent Grand Prix. What is it, wasn't it, Keith? What did you make of it? Well, it was a start that counted at the end of the day. I thought Quadraro, it's very rare mistake from Quadraro, but a very silly one, really. He came from a bit too far back, a bit too early on in the race. I mean, I think he was a he was aware of what was going on, and Magnaia had pace, so he didn't want him to, to disappear up the road. In the end, it cost him dearly. But I think he, he just looked a little rattled early on in that. that He, he didn't settle in that first couple of laps, and, and I think that was pretty evident. Magnaia had got, got the start that he should have got. You're absolutely right about Alicia Spargo. Anybody that hasn't watched it yet, you should. But if you haven't watched it, then basically Bagnaia took, uh, sorry, um, Quattararo took Aleish out at Distruban, I think it was, in it turn five, that horseshoe left-hander. But it was from quite a long way back. He was a little wide on the way in anyway, so he was in there hot. And I think that's what's, I think that says more about Aleish than it does about Quattararo, in that Aleish was so fast that Quattararo misjudged him. And I think that's the, the key here is, is that Aleish is on such a pace now that I think even the likes of the mercurial Frenchman 
have misjudged him slightly. And the ride that he had to come to where he came to, that final, Assen always delivers into that last chicane because it's approached from a massively fast left-hander. You line it all up a couple of corners before. And if you've got the momentum, then you get up the inside. But to get up the inside of two MotoGP riders of the quality he did, to make the pass on two men in the last chicane to, to finish fourth and therefore put himself a huge jump in more points um, towards Quattararo's lead, and it's been trimmed by a, a considerable margin now, it's just fantastic. It's great for the series. But I think you're right, Harry, in what you said. I think it was the ride of his, his career. And I think he's going to go on to greater things from that ride. He really is a believer now. He'll win Silverstone, by the way. Oh, will he now? <laughs> will he? Well, I suppose, question is, Pete, if he hadn't been taken out, could Aleish have won in Assen? On paper, undoubtedly. I mean, because he lost, I think it was about nine or ten seconds when he got pushed into the gravel and he finished, what was it, 2.5 seconds behind. So... You know, of course, there's the rain drop, so, uh, you know, and Bagnara is racing the guy in second. But still, if you're looking at the, on paper, I mean, yeah, the, the speed was there. The, the ironic thing, isn't it, though, that is that if that if that incident hadn't happened, he might have gained five points on Cotterari by winning the race. Cotterari would have been finished second. Instead, what happens is they have the incident, and as Keith says, he gains 13 points. Gaining 13 points on Quattararo is no easy thing. So it was a bit of a kind of a bittersweet thing for, for Aleish. He did say afterwards that, you know what, I've only won one race, though. I, I think I'd prefer to get the second win. But, you know, come the end of the season, those 13 points could prove very welcome, couldn't they? Put him right there. Of course, we, the problem with that question, Harry, is, is, is could he have won it, is what would Magnaia have been able to do about him being on his tail? That's, that's always the question. Magnaia is riding to, to win the race at the minimum risk. Um, if Aleish is uh, coming into the equation and catching him, then I think at one point, Bangnaya did increase his pace considerably when he was being closed down a little bit. And I think that that's the mark of the guy at the moment. He's He's got pace as well. Having said that, you know, Bangnaya could be quite nervous because he's fallen out of some fairly decent positions. And uh, if uh, if he had pushed any harder, maybe he could have been forced into another error. Quite possibly, and I suppose this is the confidence boost maybe Banyai needed after a, you know lots of non-scores and, and falling out really at the, the championship hunt, wasn't it? He managed to finish ahead though of fellow Italian uh, in his first year, Marco Bezzecchi, to take a maiden podium. I mean, what a result! The elation in the pen afterwards, wasn't it? Between both the Italians celebrating, two mates as well off track. Uh, fantastic ride from Bezzecchi. Yeah, not much you can say about that, is there? It was a great ride, and he, he, he looked in control all of the time. So, I mean, Bezeki, brilliant. I mean, that's all you can say, really. It was. A, let's hope he can repeat it. It's always one of them ones where Assen's a funny old place. You talked about Vinales a bit earlier on. When was the last time he had a podium? Assen for Yamaha. Mm. So, it, it, if you've got that muscle memory for that place, you know, you you, you, you can come up with the goodies. It's, uh, it is... It's not the track it was. You've heard me bang on about that before. They've trimmed a fair bit off of it, but the bit that's left is still pretty damn good and uh, and still one of recognises one of the best tracks on the calendar. Mm. There's a great quote from Bezeki after the race where uh, he said, "You know what? It's not re- uh, their rider coach at VR46, I should say, told him, look, it's not raining until it hurts the back of your neck.' <laughs> and so that's why when those spots were falling, he was just closing on Banyaya. And uh, yeah, Banyaya did say it was a bit bit tense there for a moment because he knew how strong Bezeki is, and that was uh, that was the moment when Bezeki believed he could keep that podium as well. Maybe not you know, catching Banyaya, but certainly." At that moment in time, those few rain drops, ten laps ago, yeah, it sort of played into his hands, and he handled it brilliantly, as you say. You know, for a rookie, this is of course Rossi's first podium, isn't it? The team in the in the Premier class, so a bit of a bit of a milestone there, a good boost for the team for next year. Um, you know, after what was a bit of a disappointing time for Mourinho on the other side after that, um, you know, that scary collision with Mia, it sort of got overlooked yeah. with the whole Quattararo Lage thing, didn't it? But I mean, really, I mean, that, that's one thing we can maybe talk about. No penalty for Mia there. You know, it was a scary moment. It resulted in Marini losing his wing, ruined his race there and then. You can't, you know, where was he? 17th. So it had bigger consequences for Mar- Marini than the Alation incident had for Alation, if you like. So, um, yeah, so opposite opposite feelings on the two sides of the VR46 team. But certainly uh, Marini said, look, you know, we should, we should build on this and, and focus on uh, being the best independent team in the second half of the year. 
Well, that brings us nicely on, I think, to penalties, doesn't it, Keith? Uh, It's worth touching on, as Pete says, no penalty there for that, uh, well, bizarre incident in the end, wasn't it? And scary between Marini and Mir. Uh, But also, uh, after the race, uh, for that collision between Quattararo and Alessia Spargo, Quattararo has been given a long lap penalty for Silverstone. What do you think? Is it fair... Yeah, what you tend to get is people will look at Nakagami's situation. That was Mm. deemed a racing incident. And, of course, straight back to Quattararo. Um, It's about the subtlety of it as well. I mean, this is where rider um, stewards come into it. This is where the likes of Spencer should come into his own, really, Freddie Spencer as a a, a steward. You know, Quattararo, it was a rash move. He came from a long way back. There wasn't really the gap there until Aleish picked up and let him have a bit of room when he knew he was coming through. He was wide anyway from where I could see it when I checked the tapes this morning. I looked at the, the recording tapes while I'm on about. Um, when I checked the digital recording this morning. Um, I think that, that there was it was a it was a rash move. It was a it was a rush of blood. It was early in the race, it was unnecessary at that particular point, possibly it could be deemed. But I think he came from a bit too far back. If we compare it with Nakagami, and everyone's screaming at the screen now, what about Nakagami? You know, well, Nakagami made up all his space into turn one where he got himself in trouble from the start. He launched really well. He didn't come rushing in, sort of gaining loads of space into a corner. He was breaking. It looked pretty much like everyone else was by the time he arrived there. Um, and lost the front. So it's a very subtle difference, but I think that Quattararo did deserve the penalty. I mean, that's my opinion again. You know, opinions are like what? Everyone's got one. (laughs) But the stewards have to make up their minds. Quite interesting, wasn't it? Because Fabio, being the straightforward guy that he is, immediately hands up, says, oh, I made a stupid mistake. And I just remember thinking, you know, the stewards haven't, made their decision yet and you've got a rider basically confessing to a stupid mistake if i was the team manager i think i'd be hang on fabio let's just wait until they decide before we kind of you know hands up and uh, you know whether that sways them i don't know keith i mean did, maybe did they, you they, they... I, I don't know whether you i read i mean i've been so bloody busy since it's six o'clock this morning catching up on what's going on did you write that piece in crap on crash that basically Alesh said that i thought it was a really good quote from from Alesh, um about the fact that Fabio is he's, he's, he's on such a high, he, he said yeah. it's not about arrogance. It's about the belief that he has at the moment. If I, I'm misquoting your your piece, I'm sure, but no, that's um, and I think he's absolutely right. Quattararo mm. believes he can walk on water right to the point where he couldn't. You know, he's done some fantastic things this year so far, and he is on a very high of confidence and understanding of what he can do on that bike until it went wrong. And Aleish. Yeah, fair dues, Aleish. I mean, he, he was reasonable about the whole thing. And as you've already explained, you know, he's, he's actually gained plenty of points, whereas if it had been a standard race, he probably wouldn't have gained as many points against Quattararo. Um, so it's it's cost Quattararo in quite a lot of ways. But I thought Aleish was, he'd interpreted, interpreted it really, really well in that he understands. And probably, I think again, in your piece, Pete, it, it was that, Quattararo hadn't made allowances for Aleish to be quite as fast as he is now, or the Aprilia is in in partnership. So, and these are all things that that, that are constant flowing, aren't they? The, the ebbs and flows of, of of things that are going on on the track. So I think it's a very very good piece, very subtle. Everything's very subtle, but you've got to understand what's written underneath the lines almost with what these two guys have just said. And I like that. It's I think it's uh, you know Aleish is now coming to the very peak of his game. And he's in for wins. There's no, that bike looks sharp. It looks right. It's fast enough. It turns beautifully, um, which is which is why I reiterate, Silverstone winner. <laughs> <laughs> I would just say on the on the whole penalties thing. I think the one one area where the, the, there seems to be that the riders perhaps don't agree with race direction, and now we hear uh, the Yamaha team manager Merigali was also making clear he didn't agree with the penalty. Is you've got the cause, haven't you? And then you've got the consequences. And I think where there seems to be this difference is that that maybe uh, the stewards are focused on the cause, because quite rightly, that's in the hands of the riders, isn't it? That's their mistake, rather than what happens afterwards. And I think the riders, they look at what happened with Nakagami, you know, Rins gets put in hospital with a broken wrist, Banyaya's race ruined, that's the consequence, and there's no penalty. And then they see, you know, Aleish didn't even fall off. 
and there's a penalty. And I think you can make the argument for both cases, but maybe that seems to be where the difference is at the moment, that, that the riders want more of the consequence perhaps taken into account. That uh, I mean, we had Nakagami, didn't we? He came back and basically said, if I'd have got a penalty, I'd have accepted it. And I think that well, I think, on well, the ground, again, on the grounds of having taken out the consequence side, again, not the, mis the mistake wasn't that big, but the consequences were. So I think, I just think that's, and it's not an easy one to walk, is it? Those two sides. But I think for me, that seems to be where there is this, just this slight dislocation between the stewards and the riders. Problem you've got is a racing, it's a racing, in if it's racing incidents, you're always going to, if they're not allowed to race, which is the cause, you know, you you can't blindly ignore the consequences, obviously, because any any cause that has consequences that are dangerous has to be dealt with in a safety in a safe way. But you can't is is racing a cause? You know, straight away you get into the, the into the subject. It's suddenly a bit of a, a aggressive. You know, Alicia Spargo last corner at Assen. If that had gone wrong, he'd have wiped out two guys, and the consequences would have been horrendous. I mean, it's very very rare. You see on the last lap, people of that quality being passed at somewhere as tight as the braking area into even at Assen without there being some coming together. You know, it's it was an amazing pass by Alasius Bargro. And I think he's moved on to that plane we've just been talking about with Quattararo. Quattararo believes he can do virtually anything and escape from virtually anything. And all of a sudden we've got Alasius doing exactly that in the final lap, final corner of the race. I mean, we're in for a, for a cracking time. The good thing about everything right now is that five weeks, as you said, Harry, is brilliant. Five weeks, these guys can get over, you know, losing a limb and grow a new one in that amount of time. It's, it's just, it, it's going to mean that when we get to Silverstone, everybody's going to be fit. And I think we're going to be in for a brilliant, I mean, I was up there couple of days ago I did an interview with Stuart Pringle which was very interesting did you know I mean he's an interesting one did you know that the one of the most costly insurance things that, that a circuit has to have at this real moment in time would have been the same for Festival of Speed it would have been the same for Glastonbury is insurance against our monarch and our monarch's de demise because of the consequences of, of, of that event you know, she's 96 years old now. God bless her. May she live to, you know, infinity. But we know that that's not going to happen. So so one of the major costly issues for all big events is now the insurance against our monarchs passing, um, which, which again, I, I, these kind of tricky things that are going on in the background that none of us wow. ever realise is going on in the background. Um, but the the... Silverstone preparations the other day when I went there, it was sun was shining. They had they've had to bring crews in from abroad to actually construct stands because there aren't enough scaffolders in the UK to do what they need at Silverstone. It's manic at the moment, and Stuart Bringle still looks fourteen. How does he do it? <laughs> <laughs> he is the managing director of Silverstone, by the way, folks. Just in case you don't know who Stuart Bringle is. <laughs> you, you'd, you'd miss him quite easily because he's, he's a bloke who looks like a 14-year-old, to be honest. Now, over the last five five years that he's had of managing Silverstone, um, you would imagine that he might have sort of, well, he might look a bit more like me, slightly <laughs> less hair, greying and, uh, and and drawn at the gills. But no, he don't. He seems to seems to thrive on aggravation, the Stuart. With that, with the insurance thing then, so is that saying that if, if the Queen of England sadly passes away say over the MotoGP Grand Prix weekend they would cancel the Grand Prix weekend is that why they need well, the that, insurance? I, I think what it does it, it allows for any eventuality I think that, that it allows for cancellation of tickets or passes right. or if there's you know you know what would happen if if our, you know somebody somewhere knows the protocol and the etiquette for mm. what's happening in that time and I suppose it depends on time of day, place, you know, and so many other things. There's so many variables. But, of course, you need to insure against something like that. It's sort of like insuring for the rain. I mean, all big meetings insure for, for the weather. You know, it's something that, 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 that everyone has done in the past. These unforeseen circumstances are what is what you're insure against. But, you know, he, he, he said that, that that's one of their biggest insurance costs at the moment. Now, quite what that wow. covers um, is anybody's guess. But... That's what insurance is there for. It's to cover the 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 unknown, really, isn't it? It's it's the, not the expected, but but the possible, 
the, whatever is possible, the insurance is uh, is there to cover. Wow. Well, I'd say I didn't expect to be talking about the Queen and insurance on today's show, but uh, certainly uh, you can get everything in MotoGP land, can't you? Um, speaking of um, Aleish, we, we've sort of covered him off, uh, but I suppose a little bit under the radar compared to Aleish because he's on an absolute whirlwind at the moment. And in fact, in terms of our predictions from last time out, Keith and I, nothing. Pete McLaren, Vinales on the podium got a point so pete you clearly know well we all thought vinales would be would be going well considering after last time out but is this is this the sign of vinales getting back to his old ways it was it was this time last year i remember in the summer break you know each week we were talking about vinales he's lost his head you know he's going to be out of mercy gp can he you know can he survive what he was going through with yamaha and it seems he he can and he's coming out the other side of it as you say, Harry, total, total contrast to last year, wasn't it? On the podium again, but it was the, you know, it was that, that awkward podium ceremony, wasn't there? With, with, uh, with In second place behind Quattararo and Merigali trying to sort of cheer him up. And it was clear there was a major problems going on. And then sure enough, a few days later, we got the confirmation that he'd leave Yamaha at the end of the year. And now here he is just one year later. I don't know what he plans to do when he retires from MotoGP, but he'd be a good rider manager if he's able to see in the crystal ball <laughs> that in one year's time, a bike that wasn't even in the top five is going to have, what's he got, six podiums now and one race win. I mean, uh, or seven if you count Silverstone last year. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's all turned around. And he just looks, he looks the happy maverick that is the fast maverick, doesn't he? And uh, he's building momentum. He was fast in Germany. He had the setback with the ride height device, but it didn't get him down. He had the bad qualifying in, in Assen, 11th place, wasn't it? But again, you know, which, which should have been basically his podium chances over but it didn't get him down. And, uh, you know, he goes well at Assen, but he also goes well at Silverstone. He goes well at Mizano. So, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's a good time for Vinales. He's now, I'm trying to think, how many riders have had three uh, podiums with three different bikes? There's not many. Rossi, I guess, is probably the last one. And before that, I don't know. But it's it's not often. Lorenzo didn't do it, you know, on the Honda. He didn't get the podium with a Honda. So he's he's got something to show for this move now, hasn't he? It's taken a bit longer than we thought, I think, given Alicia's performances. We thought Maverick would be up there, but he's there now. He believes it's, it is just the qualifying that's holding him back. And uh, interesting, he also made clear after the race that he will help Alicia. You know, if Alicia needs help for this championship, come the end of the year, he's made clear, look, I'm, I'm here to help Aprilia win this championship. Now... That could be useful because it's hard to see that Quattro is going to get any kind of help from, uh, you know, Morbidelli, Davizioso and Darren Binder at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, and as Keith said, Silverstone with Quattro having this long lap penalty. Now, we've seen it costs you about, what, four, 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 five positions on, on the early laps? Miller at, uh, at Asa on Sunday. That's the last thing Quattro needs with, with the bike that he's got struggling to overtake. So it's going to be a hell of a race at Silverstone. I think Quattro's ruined his holiday with this penalty. I think it's going to be <laughs> nagging away at the back of his mind. For, you know, If he'd have gone on holiday after Saxony, it would have been perfect, wouldn't it? It would have just been, what, what, a, what a holiday time. Instead, it's going to be gnawing away at him, You know, this, uh, this penalty that he's got. And, and I think he's going, to, he's going to fight back pretty hard at Silverstone. But as Keith says, that, that confidence... It can it can go over the line if you're not careful. So it should be a hell of a race at Silverstone now because if people were worried that Quattro might do one of his you know start to finish dominations, very unlikely now with this penalty, he's going to have to fight through. Well, with uh, that race uh, done and dusted before the summer break, uh, Fabio Quattro does still hold on to the championship lead, 172 points. Now, though, to 151 points for Alicia Spargo, Joanne Zarco, 114 points ba- uh, in third. So there is a bit of a gap there to the top two now. But uh, Alicia actually, uh, as you say, with uh, Fabio um, non-scoring at all and Aleish getting fourth that uh, did net him a few more points we'll come back to MotoGP uh, in a moment let's uh, go down and have a look at what happened in Moto2 and Moto3 shall we because they certainly delivered some excellent racing as well in uh, in Moto2 it was uh, Augusto Fernandez who recovered from a, a third row start to win uh, the Moto2 Dutch Grand Prix by over half a second I think it was at the end as uh, his rivals fought it out behind his only slip up though of course Keith being that he uh, well he fell over didn't he oh, he crashed in uh, part Ferme which is a little bit down at the end but can't hold that one against him too much he won ahead of Ayagura and Jake Dixon who took pole managed to get home on the podium in third yeah I think the part Fermi thing was a racing incident I don't think he's got a, <laughs> a long lap penalty for it so um, we, we, he's been let off by Freddie for that one 
Jake Dixon, I think that third place, great ride from him. I mean, very mature. And again, I think Jake, it's interesting at the moment, isn't it? Because if you think back, not that long, really, not that long to me anyway, when Jake got the kind of wild card Moto2 deal at Silverstone and a couple of races, and now we've got Rory Skinner, who's in the same position come this year. Uh, young Rory, I've rated for, for many a time. I think um, he's got good attitude, good family behind him. You know, he's fast, obviously. And I think Rory Skinner is is about to be given the same kind of opportunity that um, with American... Was it American Racing that's taken him on? I can't remember who it is. It is American Racing. <laughs> I can't tell you the kind of conversations I had with Wayne Rainey over American Racing while we were at Festival of Speed. Maybe that's another podcast all on its own. But um, actually, Rory Skinner getting that wild card, it just reminds... Uh, two wild cards, sorry. It reminds me of the time that Jake got those wild cards. And Jake did a really good job at the time and I remember everybody saying well I didn't finish him he didn't you know didn't tear any trees up but he actually did because dropping into a, a class like Moto2 is really different it's not like any other class you know stiff chassis not particularly fast motorbikes da 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 especially back in the time that um that Jakey did it but I think this bike will suit Rory Skinner I think he will he'll get on with it fairly swiftly he knows the track which will be great as well and I think Rory Skinner's got the, you know, he's 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 a lad now that's he's light, but he's big, and he will get on with this bike. I think it's going to be, and I and I think about Jake Dixon third this weekend, good ride, you know, solid points and all the rest of it. He'll be disappointed he wasn't in the chart with a chance of of winning the race, but um, Jake's Jake's there now. He's in Grand Prix for sure. Now people look at him, and what he has done through quite difficult times when it looked like he was going to lose his ride. Till he had that bang on the head, if you remember, and and Pasini took over for a while, and Pasini proved that the bike wasn't that good, and all the things that Jake was saying about the bike was right. So then they came back after Pasini had, had done his deputising and uh, started to listen to Jake a bit more, and and that's when Jake was back on the ramp to to greater things rather than redundancy in Grand Prix. Um, but what I like is that through Jake's activities, through Jake's you know pressure and presence and personality. Rory Skinner's going to get a go. They, they still, they're looking towards Britain. They're looking towards our shores, which is a great thing um, because they're not really looking that much towards America. Okay, you know, the, the American racing team is looking towards Joe Roberts and, and Cameron Bobier, um, trying to bring them on out of the Moto America series over in, in the States that Wayne Rainey heads, obviously. Um, but really still, it's not America where, where the Grand Prix teams potentially are looking. They're still having a little squint at our youngsters here which I think is a good thing. Um, and again, I know you're going to get onto the Scott Ogden thing as well. I mean, he, you know, he, with looking at Scott, he's doing the business, Scott. Okay, didn't have a great weekend at Aston again. But the fact is, he's doing the business. He's there or thereabouts. And people in the paddock, you know that old bloody boring saying, those that know, they know, you know, you know, you know, or you, if you know, you know, something like that. I can't remember what it is, but it just annoys me so much. I can't remember the phrase. But, but that's what it's like in the paddock. Those blokes know. Those girls know. They look across at what's going on. They see what performances people are achieving on the type of bike, the team that they're riding for, and they make decisions based on that. And I think that uh, it's significant that they're still looking at these uh, our riders over here. Certainly is, isn't it? But uh, sadly, one rider who wasn't able to take part, of course, this weekend, uh, Pete Pedro Acosta, uh, not taking part due to uh, breaking his leg in training. So not great for him. Actually, as Keith alluded to, you know, we've got five weeks. They reckon that'll be enough to recover for him to bounce back in Silverstone? That's it. Yeah, I, th I think he should be. He should be. I think he'll certainly try anyway. And and during that time, everything is going in, in favour of his teammate, if you like, isn't it? Fernandez. I mean, was his three wins in five races or something? You know, he was a bit overshadowed, wasn't he, at the start of the year by Acosta coming in, the, the rookie star. But uh, you know, his his form of late has it, been extraordinary, and he's now what I think he's tied with the championship lead, isn't he? And uh, yeah, so it's uh, you know, it's close in Moto Two. It's, it's so uh, you know, close. Agora, Vietti, <laughs> Yeah, what is it? One point or something between the top three, isn't it? And uh, as we saw on Sunday, a lot of riders keep makes the point. You know, Jake was disappointed with with third, and that says it all, doesn't it, about where Jake's you know whole mindset is now. You know, third is a disappointment, and that's great because that says what his expectations are. You know, the bottom line is a lot of guys fell out of that lead group, and he didn't, and, and that was that was important, I think. And uh, we should also say the other bit. You know, Sam Lowe's had uh, I think it was a problem with false neutrals. Uh, that was why he ran on at turn one, and it. 
you know, a bit of a dangerous uh, situation. Dangerous being his words. It's something that he wants Triumph to really sort of get on top of. So this must be something, if it's being mentioned publicly like that, it must be something that's cropping up sort of, you know, this isn't a one-off thing, but that's it. That's what happened to, to Sam uh, in the race there. So yeah, let's hope they get, they get on top of that. But, um, but yes, yeah, certainly Moto2, I mean, uh, you know, it's all to play for. And, uh, you know, Ogura, it's, he's still in there, isn't he? Being spoken about in terms of the LCR seat, but you've got to win races, haven't you? You've got to be either the champion or winning races. I, I don't know whether I would, I certainly think he's got MotoGP potential, but, you know, would you choose him over Nakagami? We now know there's only one seat there. Um, you know, for next year with, uh, you know, Rins is basically having the other seat. It's all but confirmed now with Alex Marquez over at Grassini. So, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot on these guys' shoulders. Um, you know, they're fighting for the championship. They're thinking about their futures and everything else. So let's hope, um, as Keith says as well, we can have Rory Skinner in there. I think uh, just looking from afar on Rory, the thing that impresses me is he's been successful with so many different types of bike, isn't he? I mean, you know, from the British Talent Cup champion on the announced Super Sport and now BSB, you know, that's the thing that really grabs my attention as well. Someone that's fast on so many different types of bike. Getting back to the leg break with Acosta, it's the Marquez test, isn't it? It's coming back from an injury like that. Some riders don't come back quite the same. Some riders come back just as strong. So it's the Acosta test um, for these five weeks. Can't wait. He's going to be there. <laughs> we can't wait for it. And it, just to reiterate how tight it is at the top of Moto2, Celestino Vietti heads it on count back 146 points because he's tied with Augusto Fernandez second 146 points Ayagura 145 points in third and then it's 116 points back to Aaron Canet in fourth so Moto2 wow all to play for uh, you mentioned uh, Scott Ogden Keith Moto3 let's move on and chat about that as well it was Ayumi Suzaki who worked incredibly hard on that bike on that bike to uh, keep in touch with the the long-term race leaders uh, Isan Guevara uh, moved into the lead at the right time kept his head uh, as everyone around everyone else around him battled crashed out uh, and he won moto three and and the dutch grand prix ahead of it Guevara and sergio garcia with a great comeback ride to get onto the podium yeah i mean sasaki it's it's time isn't it he's he's finally won that race now we're going to see what he's made of once he's got that monkey off his back because it is a problem isn't it you know he just needed to get there and he, and it uh, assen there's no a race winner Assen is is so important, particularly in the mud fight that you're in to the end. I mean, it is dog eat dog through the final few laps of that. I mean, um, I thought Fogia, I felt sorry for Fogia. I mean, he, okay, he got himself on the outside of the curb. He got pushed out there. It's all fair in love and war. That's about where we're at when you've got two bikes in the same corner. But that curb looked dangerous. You shouldn't be in a situation where you've run off the edge of the curb and it basically spits you off. Um, I was a bit surprised at that. Now, I've walked the track at Assen often, um, and I don't ever recall seeing it like that. It obviously was, and it's something that I've missed, but that shouldn't be the case. That, sh that you, you shouldn't be so far out of line when your, your wheel drops over the, the edge of the curb because there's no indicator to that. You as a rider don't consider the fact that there's going to be a bloody four, five, six-inch drop or whatever it was that's going to spit you off. You think the curb is going to transit onto the green paint or whatever it is reasonably neatly. So I think that Assen have got a safety issue there. Um, John McPhee sadly fell down when he was in the final. I mean, I, I, I don't always feel sorry for John McPhee, but I do a little bit on this occasion because I think that he was, he was, he'd got forced back a little while. He was trying to fight back through the last couple of corners and Munoz again was a bit at a rush of blood to the head and, uh, took out the other rider and, and John McPhee fell down. I won't say in sympathy because you don't fall down in sympathy, but you only need to tense just a little bit in a, in a corner like that and you'll wash the front or lose the back or whatever it might be. But I think it, although he wasn't touched by anybody and, and it looked like he fell over all on his own, I think it's one of those situations where you just flinch just really slightly. You won't see it. He'll have known what he did. Um, we've not heard about it afterwards, but... It took him out of the race after all that hard work. So I feel a little bit sorry for John McPhee, but that's how it goes. Yeah, and I think John had taken a, a different tyre choice. So he was actually, I think he went with the hard tyre, didn't he? He uh, did. Sort of bucked the trend a bit. Yeah, so 
it looked like he was up there, wasn't he? But uh, as you say, Keith, you never until you get to the flag at Assen, anything can happen, as, as we saw in MotoGP it does. as well. I mean, and, uh, Scott Ogden, I think. I mean, I, I hope Scott Ogden doesn't let his head drop a little bit. You know, Scott Ogden is, has done brilliantly this year. I mean, I really do rate it's a new team. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes with a new team. It might look all all right from everywhere else, but you know, it's it's. Every, you're still breaking in a new team. It's still working towards its best point at the moment. I'm sure Michael Lavert is across everything that's going on there. But Scott Ogden is just in that position where he's, he's not quite made the breakthrough, but he's damn near there. He really is. I mean, I think he's had a great year, and I hope that he gets the kind of continuity that he needs into next year. I mean, I, I hope that he he gets the, the, the ride, the team, the backing that he deserves, because I think he is... He is a future Grand Prix rider um, and deserves to be. Well, that's certainly riding well, apart from, well, and uh, sadly not uh, finishing that race. But at the top, Sergio Garcia extends the lead, 182 points ahead of his anchor Vera, uh, second 179. And then there's a bit of a gap back to Dennis Foggia, 115. So uh, Moso 3 uh, seems to be heating up nicely as well as we go into the break. Uh, back to uh, Moto GP, and, and Pete just brought it up a, a few moments ago. Of course, we did have confirmation that we will at least uh, get one Marquez for sure on the grid next year keith in the form of alex confirmed he's going to join grissini ducati from lcr honda he's going to race a factory spec ducati machine alongside fabio de Gianantonio. Uh, and this kind of perhaps brings more and more flavor to maybe miguel Oliveira joining the new aprilia outfit and as we say lcr well rins one of those seats uh, still unconfirmed maybe mere for the other one but i think this is a good move for alex I think it's probably one of the only moves for Alex. I mean, it's a situation that, um, you know, he's getting a factory bike in a, in a very crowded market. Uh, and I think that, you know, he's made a, a good few unforced errors. And I wondered how much they might count against him as, as we move forward. And it's a situation, you mentioned it earlier, Gura coming up. Um, you know, does Nakagami continue with his ride or does Agura take over, you know? It's a very tricky one at LCR at the moment to work out who gets that factory ride too. I think it's a good ride for for Rins. I think that, um, and I think he'll go well on it. I think he, he needs a he needs a positive. We'll see how 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 he treats the rest of this season. Now, I mean, the, when you're you've got a mindset, you're working with Suzuki. It's all looking like they're going in the right direction, and then you get this bombshell that comes one Sunday in the summer that says you've not got a deal anymore, you know, when you were moving towards, you know, it's a, it's a hell of a thing to, to get over and to still race at the very top line level. I mean, uh, you know, where we are with this, you know, the racing is so close, it's so tight. You need that extra little bit in your mind that that carries you those few hundredths of a second a lap, you know, more. And that's 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 not a physical thing. That's not a mechanical thing. That's in your head. Um, and, and as soon as somebody starts interfering with your head by by telling you you've not got a job and you've got all those negotiations, all that stuff that's going on behind the scenes, all that extra stuff that normally your management might be looking after. You've got to consider as well, what's the best deal for me? Am I going to get on with the Ducati? Am I going to get on with the team? Am I going to be able to take some of my team members from Suzuki with me so that I've got some continuity in, in understanding of what I want from a bike and what I want from, from my side of the garage? All that stuff really does interfere and especially since we've been back to back to back to back at the moment with races. So you don't really have any time to think about all this stuff. You know, he's done the deal now. We can go in, he can go into this summer break and focus on his fitness and training for the final push to the end of the year. Great. That's the way you want it. You know, he's, he's going to be relaxed when he comes back. Let's see what Rins has got in the final half of the year on the, the bike he won't be riding in 23. Yeah, it looks like what sort of leaning rins towards this Honda deal is is having a 23 spec bike. That seems to be what what clinched it as far as the team that he wants. Um, and, and then as far as it's, it sounds like it'll be announced shortly, but it seems like rins has pretty much said that's short of signing. That's that's where he'll be going. And then as far as uh, Alex Marquez and, and Giantoni, of course, uh, being signed at Grassini, the, the first official satellite seats to sign. Um, yeah, that moved pretty quick, the whole Alex Marquez thing. I mean, it, 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 he wasn't really being rumoured and then suddenly it, it, it sort of broke out there that he was in talks with Grassini. They'll, they'll be on GP22s, so they'll be riding um, you know, the bikes from the end of this year, if you like, the factory bikes from the end of this year. Um, 
interesting to see what he'll do on it, isn't it? Of course, he was on, he was on the podium with Repsol Honda in that first year, and then he's really struggled since he moved. He got moved to LCR even before he completed a race lap, didn't he? They uh, they sort of they sort of replaced him for the following year with the COVID delayed 2020 season. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it'll be a big season for him next year. He'll be on a bike, the Ducati. It's now an all rounder. You can pretty much rely. That it's going to be competitive. We've seen what Bastianini's done on the year old bike. We've seen what Digi Antonio's done on the year old bike. Bezecchi's now been on the podium on the a year old bike. So, you know, the, the, the material is there. He needs a change, you know, after being at Honda for all this time and, and really some tough years at LCR. So, um, yeah, let's let's see what he can do there. Um, as you say, he, he secured his places. The other satellite team places at the moment are technically still available. So, uh, I think I think there'll be some announcements during the summer break, though. So we'll know a bit more. But uh, certainly, Alex Marquez and and Digi Antonio are, are the first to sign on the dotted line. Shall we say. Well, let's hope uh, that change of scenery does bring some uh, upturning results for for Alex Marquez. Um, I'm sure during the summer break, we will get some more announcements and we'll keep you abreast of all those as well. We'll leave it there for now at the moment, but uh, quite a few weeks off at the moment, but we will be here uh, keeping you up to speed with everything that's going on. Uh, also, send in your questions, but actually we could use your help. So if you want uh, anything in particular that you want us to talk about, any topics, have you got an opinion that you want us to debate, get involved with, uh, do let us know in the comments section and send us a message. Just search at Crash Moto GP. We'd love to hear from you because we've got, well, a few weeks off before there's any racing action to go again. Uh, so we'd love to get your thoughts on that. But in the meantime, as ever, make sure you are tuned in across crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the week. And we'll be back with you next week. Get your questions in every Everything else as well comment section you can tweet us instagram us or facebook us as well all you have to do is search crash moto gp and please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcast as well and we shall see you right back here next week from myself harry benjamin keith ewan and pete mclaren bye-bye imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.